picking up after that, we're heading right into baptisms. The baptism of John and then Christian baptism. Full immersion. Okay? Dunked all the way in. So the people who have not been baptized, get your, uh, your swimsuits on. Get ready. The next week after that, we will be doing uh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that is a little bit controversial. That's okay. It's in the Word of God. And um, we have to have our minds changed. The Word of God does not change. God does not change. This is the way that He prescribed things through His Holy Word. And whether we understand it or not or agree with it or not, we need to still do it. So, following the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just, I'm very excited about that because there's an anticipation in my own heart that something is going to happen that we need. Whether you've been filled with the Holy Spirit before or not, there are times of refreshing as well. We need that. It is getting dark and cold and really weird out there. And we need it. We need the Holy Spirit. Every day, every moment. So, after that, we will be preaching on the resurrection from the dead. And then finally wrapping it up with eternal judgment. A very popular subject nowadays. (laughs) But it is part of the foundation that's spoken in Hebrews 6, 1 through 2. And we need to have that foundation sure and solid. We've got to understand these things. And I pray today that you guys would receive revelation from the Holy Spirit, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so you might understand the words that come out of the Bible and change your life. So, today we're going to switch things a little bit around like we said, and we're going to be doing the laying on of hands rather than baptism. So if we were just uh, laying on our hands, you don't really hear about that too much um, in a lot of churches. Uh, if you guys remember when I was ordained, my dad was here, and himself and the elders and John Makinson laid their hands on me as they, John was, you know, saying, hey, I'm the senior pastor and now I'm passing this mantle along to you. It looks ancient and strange. Um, today's especially is like, you know, social distancing and all that. But it's, it's something that comes from God's Word. Something was transferred from Him to me. And I received that by faith. I don't know what it was, but I felt different afterwards. And every time I get up here, I feel a little bit more different. It's like, wow, He really passed something along to me. I feel happier, too, so that's a good thing. <laughs> It's okay to be happy, people. There's nothing wrong with it. All right. So the laying on of hand is something that has gone in with the church. It's, it's also something of continuity. It's the passing on of one generation and their gifts and their callings and the walk that God called them to do in that generation, like David. When his purpose was done in that generation, he passed away. But in the church, it continues We lay hands on the next generation that's coming up, and we put them, you know, they need the power of God. They need to continue the work that we started as well. You know, it's the church that continues forever. So it is old-fashioned, but it's a good old-fashioned. So some of the things concerning... Um, that I was reading concerning laying out of hands, it does a couple things. It's transmitting something. You transmit blessing. It's transmitting authority, wisdom. The laying on to receive the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. A spiritual gift or a ministry. There might be some of you people that will be here for a while to get equipped. I'm kind of going off track a little bit. Get equipped here. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Be here for a little while, and you might be getting sent out into the harvest. I believe that. Especially as our numbers grow. So, get ready. Have a willing heart for what God wants in your life. Uh, Don't always think that you know what's best for your life. It's okay to make plans. And to do things, but acknowledge the Lord in everything that you do. All right, back on track. So, to commission also comes from the laying out of hands. Um, It comes from God. 
And it's something that God recognizes first. And then he has us as his human vessels lay hands. It's not an appointment, I don't believe. You know, if you, we have some deacons, we have elders in here. Um, that wasn't something that we voted on, like in a democracy or a republic. Nothing wrong with a democracy or a republic. I'm sorry, whoever listening from the NSA. Um, I love our country. But God's kingdom is not a democracy. It's not about voting. It's God's recognition. And then he says, okay, now lay hands on these people and go and do it. So God recognizes that first. It's also to set apart people for a specific ministry, as we already talked about. It's also God's endorsement. It gives authority. And then finally, I believe it also has to do with equipping. Something happens that you receive something from the Lord for the laying out of hands that you didn't have before. You get it. It's just like salvation. It is a gift, I believe. So, so let's look at some examples from the Old Testament. Um, if you can turn to Genesis 48. It's Genesis 48, starting with verse 8. This is towards the end of Jacob's life. Now his name is Israel, and he's in Egypt. And uh, Joseph, the one, you know, he thought it was dead, was now bringing his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to him. Starting with verse 8. And Israel saw Joseph's son and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me in this place. And Israel said, Bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so he could not see. And Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. God is faithful. Joseph brought them so from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. So Joseph was probably well in his 80s by now, maybe 70s. And I want some of you younger people to kind of take notice of this. The reverence, the respect, and the love that Joseph had for his father that he literally bowed before him. And I'm not saying to do that, but in this day of disrespect and dishonor, especially towards fathers and mothers and grandparents, where everything seems like it's a joke, do not do the things of the world. Show honor to those who have some silver on them. God will bless you for that. So Joseph took them both, Ephraim, with his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head. He's crossing his hands. Who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly. For Manasseh was the firstborn, and he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. The God who has fed me all my life, long this day. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the lads. Let my name be upon them. And let the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them groan to a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand and removed it from Ephraim's hand and put it on Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall also become a multitude of nations. So it's something that was transmitted through Abraham, our father in the faith, to Isaac, and then Isaac to
to Jacob. And now, Jacob, Israel, to his grandkids. So it is important. Um, you know, people who have grown up in a church, you might not have thought of this, to literally lay hands on your grandchildren or your own kids and bless them. That physical touch. There's nothing wrong with blessing your kids. you got nothing to lose. And as one of the ministries of Jesus, you know, the disciples, as Jenny was sharing, you know, they're like, oh, just get the kids away for a second. The master's too busy for little things like that. It's like, no, for such is the kingdom of God. Bless your kids. All right. If you guys would go ahead and turn to Numbers 27. Numbers 27, starting with verse 15. Bless you. Goodness. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. So this is the time when Moses was... On his way out, he was not going to go into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb were, though, in that new generation. Set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, and who may lead them out and bring them in, that the the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Um, Jesus still uses those words. We are his sheep. And we need to have people watching over us all the time. It's humbling, and the flesh is like, you know what? I got this figured out, and you can. You can go your whole days and kind of do your own thing and be like a little billy goat out there in the mountains somewhere doing your own thing, okay? But God says that we're his sheep. And part of being his sheep is being together and being with him and following him. That's a humbling thing. It's from God's word. Think about it. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set before him Eliezer. I can't pronounce that. Eliezer? Thank you. The priest, and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. Some, because he wasn't going to walk in the power of what Moses had. That time was done. It was a new leader for a new time. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire of the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. And at his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel. And all the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him just as the Lord commanded him by the hand of Moses. So, change in leadership, a new generation, the laying out of hands, the transference of that power. If you go to Deuteronomy 34, we'll hit on that real quick. Deuteronomy 34. Thirty-four, verse 9. Now Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there was a big difference between the two generations, too. Huge. One walked in almost complete defeat, an awful lot, wanting to do their own thing. And there was this next generation where it seemed like almost nothing stopped them. 
And I'm not saying because of one leadership or the other. I believe it also points to people trying to work out through the law, trying to do it themselves, and they failed. And Joshua is a new generation of salvation and grace. And I think it points to that in the Old Testament. So, Joshua is filled with wisdom and laying out of hands. If we also turn to 2 Kings 13. Second Kings 13, start with verse 14. Elisha had become sick with the illness with which he would die. Of course, Elisha had received this prophetic mantle from Elijah. And he asked for a double portion, actually, and he got it. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came over to him and wept over his face and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel... And their horsemen. Those are the same words that Elisha had also said when he saw Elijah get taken up in the chariots. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took a bow and some arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on the bow. And Elisha put his hand on the king's hands. Physical touch, laying on of hands. He said, open the east window, and he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. He says, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for he must strike the Syrians at Aphek until you have destroyed them. And he said, take some arrows. And so he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground, and he struck the ground three times, and then he stopped. The man of God was angry with him. He said, you should have struck five or six times. That way you have completely destroyed Syria. But now you will strike Syria only three times. And Joash did a good job. He beat him three times. And that's great. But we should have the heart of Elisha where we don't just kind of like beat the enemies in our life sometimes or just three times, but that we have complete dominion over them. That the things that ensnared us in the past, that we would just keep at them. Keep going to the Lord in power and asking, Lord, for victory over our enemies. And some of these strongholds that have been in our life, um, and I am getting off track again, but I just feel from the Holy Spirit that in my own life, um, divorce was a stronghold for generations. Back when it was very unpopular. I'm talking about great-great-grandparents. And I know in my generation that that was something that was broken. That I've been married almost 18 years. Seth and Kate have been married 20 years. And it stops in our generation. It's not going to proceed any further. So if you've got something that is like, man, it seems like I can't beat this enemy... Ask for the faith and the endurance to keep coming at it. The Lord will grant you victory. But part of it sometimes is like sometimes an easy victory might make us a little, I'm not sure what. We need to have that persistence of like the widow woman who kept going to that unjust judge over and over and over and over again. That's from the New Testament. So take it whatever you like. Becky, I'm getting like way off track, but keep praying for me. Okay. <laughs> and as a weird thing about Elisha, too, is like he was dying of whatever illness that was going on here, but we know later on that when he did eventually die um, and they buried him in some sarcophagus, that there was a, people who were getting ready to bury one of their dead friends. And raiders were coming to land, so they threw the dead body, and it touched Elisha's bones, and the guy comes to life. It's like, wait a second, he was sick, and his bones made this guy come to life? So I don't understand it. I'll put that in God's hands. Um, I, some of these things I just don't get, and I get a little weary sometimes of people explaining every little thing that happens in the Bible, because it's, like, it's so shocking and strange. But anyway, um, let's move on. 
So we're going to move to the, to the New Testament now. If you guys would turn to Mark 16. <clears throat> you guys staying with me? I don't see very sleepy people out there. You guys seem really energetic today. Awesome. Mark 16, verses 17. Jesus speaking before. I'm going to go 16. He says, He who believes and is baptized, it's coming up, guys, will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by my no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. We're going to keep asking, Lord. We're going to keep laying hands on people. We're going to keep asking. Your word is true. And part of what you did, Lord, at the cross is healing for our body. You bought that for us. Luke 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any sick with various diseases brought them to him, to Jesus. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Chapter 40, or verse 41, the demons also came out of many, crying out, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. So we also see here that they had healing. And it did not die out when the last apostle died. We need all the gifts, every single one of them. He says, if we're his disciples, we're going to be doing the things that Jesus did. So, I'm going to put everything I got into God's Word in that traditions. We turn to James 5. James 5, verses 14. I want to read 13, too. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing a song. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Then it goes on, confess your trespasses one to another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And again, we see that sometimes we need to dig in and keep asking. And it's interesting here, too. I know confession is kind of a, might seem like another old-fashioned thing, but it's good. It's good for your soul to be able to say, listen, I sinned and I did this thing. I'm not saying you've got to go before everyone and do it. For husband and wife, that should be the first person you go to. One of the things it really does, it keeps you from getting a little too proud and big for your britches. If you've got to confess sins, even if they're like little silly ones. So don't be ashamed of that kind of stuff. We all have issues and sins that we've got to deal with. Confess them. That's part of the healing that comes along with it as well. 
So also we see in the New Testament that the laying out of hands imparted the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you guys would turn to Acts 8. <clears throat> Doing okay in time. Acts chapter 8, starting with verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they also sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had, he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they lay hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon, this is a sorcerer who would apparently come to the Lord, saw that the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, Your money perish with you. And I think in another translation, I think Peter said, to hell with you and your money, because you thought that you could get by the gift of God and that it could be purchased with money. So, we see here that they had already received Jesus Christ. And they had already been baptized in water. But now they sent additional apostles Paul, or Peter and John, to go lay hands on these Samaritans to receive the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we've got to watch out for false brethren like this, like Simon. He was a sorcerer, and he still had some major issues. They creep in a lot, unaware. We need to look out for them. It's not just like from thousands of years ago. There are still people who are very dedicated to their craft to follow their master, and it ain't Jesus, it's Lucifer. So, be on your guard. I'm just saying. You guys can turn to Acts 9. Nine and seventeen. This is after, of course. Saul, later to become Paul, had been knocked off his horse and he was blind and Ananias was coming to him in Damascus. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. So there's a... It's okay, the order is a little bit out, but it happened with Cornelius as well. And he rose and was baptized and he received food. And he was strengthened. And Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. You guys turn to Acts 19. Acts 19, 1 through 6. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, We have not heard so much whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into, into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, Christian baptism. So now we see, again, that John's baptism was now being superseded by Christian baptism. It was being put away. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. 
One of the other things that we do now in the New Testament is that is for the commission of servants or deacons. And if we turn to Acts, excuse me, 6. Acts chapter 6. This is verses 1 through 7. Now in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a murmuring against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve disciples summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And um, that's an important thing, that whatever ministry you're in, stay in it. Don't try to do everything. Moses got rebuked by his father-in-law, Jethro, for trying to do everything. And he brought wise advice to him. And I believe it's the same for today. Don't try to do everything. Um, That's called dissipation. Don't do it. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas. Sounds like a lot of Greeks. And a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And the word of the Lord, of the Lord spread. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. The apostles weren't saying there's nothing wrong with setting tables and feeding people. But that was their, that was from the Lord to pray and to minister God's word. And there's other people's strengths that come from the Lord where it is to feed people, to feed the poor. But these people were filled with the Holy Spirit and God used these deacons mightily. All deacons means is servants. So... Uh, don't despise small beginnings. God likes it, and he usually builds you up from the ground up, from within as well. <clears throat> so the apostles, all apostles really mean is sent out, and they come from a church. And if you turn to Acts 13, Acts 13, Verses 1 through 4. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there was a certain number of prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered before the Lord, and in some translations, as they worshipped before the Lord, showing how important worship is, as they worshipped and ministered to the Lord and fasted, not so popular, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. So we see here, Paul and Barnabas got set aside by the Holy Spirit. And I believe that probably someone gave, you know, I don't believe it was like some disembodied voice that just came out and said, set aside Paul and Barnabas, is probably through a prophet, some prophetic word that was given that said, set apart these two men for the purpose that I have set up for them. So another reason why it's important to prophesy, because if we don't say these things, we don't hear them. I know that sounds very simple, but I think it's, there's some, it's a little profound, okay? Go to chapter 14. Chapter 14 with verse 26. 
And there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. And when they gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So we see that after they had received this commission, the laying out of hands, they were doing the work of God now, working the things that they needed to do. So we see through the laying on of hands that it is in the New Testament transmitting authority as well. Setting people apart for the ministry that God has called them to do. It's an endorsement from the Holy Spirit. And it's also equipping them for the things that they need to do. <clears throat> we also find out later that the laying on of hands has to do with appointing elders. We turn to Acts 14.23. We're already there. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Again, the laying on of hands, praying, fasting. It's important. It's not just voting. If you turn to 1 Timothy 5. I know we're going through a lot of scripture, guys. I appreciate you. First Timothy five, verse seventeen. Let the elders who rule. Well, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. The scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke them in the presence of all, that the rest may also fear. I think it's one of the most important Things in a church setting that if there is something going on with an elder or a deacon, someone in leadership and stuff, that is so important that it's just not just one person. You need to have at least two witnesses. Um, I know as a cop that is so important that one person may have like one perspective, but if there's two people there, it kind of and they're both of their stories are matching up. You know, use some wisdom right there too. Um, Two or more witnesses, because it also keeps uh, gossiping from kind of breaking out of control. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do the, uh, the ministry of the accuser. If an elder has done something wrong, though, two or more witnesses, and absolutely needs to happen in a godly way. Titus, chapter 1. Again, this is talking about setting up elders wherever Paul had had all these different churches he had set up and he wanted Titus and Timothy to place elders and deacons in these places. Titus 1, verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. It talks about if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. So basically, what was said before, if your family's out of control and you want to become an elder, you've got to get your family in control. They can't have wild, disobedient children. I'm not saying my kids have messed up before, too. I understand that. But... Your kids have to be obedient in order for me to stand up here. And don't think that the elders weren't watching me for years and how I handled my own kids. It's the Word of God. It has to be done. Because I have seen other people, um, you know, they talk about preachers' kids a lot, which I think is, I'm not going to, it's like almost like a curse. But I mean, their kids just go wild. 
And it's just like because the ministry becomes more important than their wife and their kids. And they think that the, God's family is going to suffer if they're not there up there preaching, doing God's ministry. The foundation of his ministry is his family, not coming up and going to the church. That's just a stepping stone. So as soon as that gets approved, then yes, you can be on the next thing. But get your family in order. If you're having a hard time with your wife, um, get things right with her first before you want to serve in God's house. We also looked at it is a way to impart spiritual gifts. If you turn to Romans 1, laying out of hands imparts spiritual gifts. Romans 1, starting with verse 11. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, I may be encouraged, together with you, by the mutual faith, both of you and me. And that's one of the things that um, I think shows a sign of maturity, that you can rejoice, like Paul was rejoicing here, that someone was getting something wonderful from God, and they were being established, and they were blossoming and maturing in their faith. Any good parent, any good grandparent, wants their children to do better than them, wants them to walk in ways that they never have. That should be our heart. So, and if it isn't, ask the Lord, he'll help you. Second Timothy one six. Second Timothy one six. Paul talking to Timothy, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Um, part of our inheritance, people, is to have a sound mind. And I fear that, especially in these days, it feels like our, a lot of our minds are under constant attack. Um, I know that seems like to be the, the first place where the enemy likes to go. And um, be careful. Again, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Please be careful of the things that you watch and listen to and the amount of time that you're spending doing some of these things. I'm not telling you to get off of cable, which is probably good for your soul for a while, or watching news all the time. But a lot of it is just doom and despair and just bad news a lot. Um, take some time to think on things that are lovely and pure and good. Get out in nature for a while. Get away from the nonsense. Amen? All right. We're getting there, guys. You guys turn to 1 Timothy 4.14. First Timothy four fourteen. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which is given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing so you will save both yourself and those who hear you. And one of the words that jumps out to me is, it's not in there, but it's commitment. That once you get that gift, continue in it. Hone that gift. Perfect it. Continue in it. Don't just put it on the shelf and don't use it. Continue in it. You know, if you guys are athletic, you know, you want to get better at what you do, whether it's golf or basketball or football, 
And the training that you put in is going to be the results you get out of it. And I believe it's the same way with the thing of God. Continue on that. Fan into that flame. Let's turn to 2 Timothy 1.6. I think I was just here. Strike one. All right. <laughs> hey, you guys got to forgive me. First Timothy four fourteen. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I did that one too. Dear God Almighty, why did I write down twice? Becky you should have gone over this thing. Dog on it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Let's try this one. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to look first. Oh my goodness. Yeah, well, I haven't done this one. First Timothy <laughs> chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, yeah. 118. First Timothy 118. He takes the foolish things, guys. This charge I commit to you, son, Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith and have suffered shipwreck. And we see here how important it is, again, the prophetic receiving that gift and continuing on in it. So don't forget these things. And I just wanted to kind of share something that had happened to me. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to share it, but I, I think it's important that you do hear it and try to hear my heart on it. Um, Becky and I lived in Atlanta for five years, and we, went to, we were in Atlanta. What? You said sorry? It's a great place. What are you talking about? It's exciting cop fun stuff. So anyway. <laughs> so we, we belong to a covenant church down there too. It was a wonderful church. And the pastor's name was John Duke. And I mean, we love the fellowship and the people there. We just grew to be very attached. We still see them in fellowship with them from time to time. And I remember I was going to have... Um, breakfast with John to let him know after the five years, which were almost up, I was going to move back to the mountains with our family. We felt the Lord was just bringing us back. And so I just said, hey, let's go have some breakfast. He's like, sure. This guy, I want to, I want to talk to you about something. And I was like, absolutely. So we went to Denny's because that's where winners eat. And we uh, sat down and, you know, he's an older man. And by that time, he was not doing so well physically. And um, I remember he looked at me, and I just felt like he was just kind of like looking like through me. And he says, Josh, we enjoyed having your family here. We really did. He says, but we did not get out of you what we could have. And I did not feel one bit condemned by that word. It was a right assessment of my time in that fellowship. And he was my pastor. He was the person that was looking over me to make sure that I was doing okay. Not that I did horrible things. There was like there was no sin. I wasn't running around stealing money or running around with my wife. There was nothing like that at all. But as gently the Lord showed me that a lot of what he was talking about had to do with my lack of commitment to that fellowship. I did. I shared some time doing, you know, Bible studies, and we had a small group, and I was there, but I was not there. And it was correct of him to say that to me. It was like a father talking to his son, and I never forgot those words. And I remember it was probably like a year or two later. Um, he was getting ready to die. And um, we brought our family down there just to see him. 
And he laid his hands on me and prayed for me. And I didn't realize at the time, you know, what was going on. But I know he sees me now and what's going on now and how faithful God is. And it might not have seemed like an edifying word from Pastor John, but it was the right word. It was a correction. It was a rebuke in some way. But I love him for having the bravery to tell me and the integrity to tell me that. And I don't mourn at all about the time that was wasted because God has renewed all of that. He does those things. I don't care how he does it. He does them, though. There's no regrets there. I'm just so thankful that God is faithful and he used men like that to speak into my life. So don't be just addicted to hearing the good things about yourself all the time. Sometimes you need to hear the hard word. That's part of what's in the Bible, too. And God knows i got a ton of that from my parents. They were always ministering that word of correction to me. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, I'm just going to stop there. And... I know Jenny gave a word, and I really appreciated it. But I also believe that, um, like the word said, if there is any among you who are sick, call upon the elders, and then we can anoint you with oil and pray that you get healed. So, I'm asking the elders to come up in faith. I didn't talk to them about this. I just believe that if you want prayer, for something in your life besides, you know, if you're sick, if there's something going on with your family, if you want your hands to get laid on so you can receive a gift from the Lord, spirit of wisdom, or whatever it might be, I'm just going to ask that you take that step of faith and come up. Becky, yeah, if you play a little bit, honey. <laughs>